Hello, everybody, and welcome to The Shrink and the Pundit. I'm Jeff Salzman, the pundit. You can find my stuff on dailyevolver.com as well as Facebook page for Daily Evolver. And I'm here today to share another great conversation that I had with my favorite integral shrink, Dr. Keith Witt, who has been doing private psychotherapy for, well, over 40 years. So he's seen it all. (laughs) In this episode, we talk about the nature of intimacy at higher levels of development. As it's often noted by cultural critics, one of the key pathologies of modern life is how it unmoors us, it uproots us from the very structures that have given human beings meaning for all of history. Things like family and kin ties, connection to a way of life that has been lived by many generations of ancestors. Of course, for modern people, these identities may feel quite constrictive. And we want to create new identities just for ourselves that express our own individuality. And that's all great. That's evolutionary progress. But it does come at a cost. And various kinds of psychological syndromes of isolation and alienation and so forth. And that's where a lot of people find themselves. But fortunately, evolution continues And at the higher stages of development, the integral stages, we seek to reintegrate both connection and community along with autonomy and freedom. So that's one of the great projects of integral consciousness, and that's where we start. Uh, Earlier in the year, Keith had spoken at a really interesting conference in Portugal on the topic of longevity, happiness, and intimacy. And so we start there by asking him to tell us a little bit about it. So here's Dr. Keith Witt. Well, here we are. Hi, everybody. Hi, Jeff. Hey, brother. Pleasure, as always. Uh, Indeed. So uh, last April, there was a unique event that happened in Portugal that I got to be part of. It was called Plenitude. And it was put on by a Brazilian billionaire named Abilio Dines, who had, who had made his fortune in grocery stores in Portugal and, and Brazil. And a couple of years ago, he went to an event with a friend of his where a lot of Harvard professors gave 90-minute talks about stuff. And he thought, wow, that's pretty good. I mean, 90 minutes is too long. But, but the idea is great. And so he thought for his 80th birthday, he's, you know, he's on his second family. He's in great shape, got a couple of kids. He's had his own integral awakening. He probably doesn't know integral, but, but he did. He kind of broke through into the second tier and wrote a book about it. He told these guys that he's, these genius guys, uh, Marcelo Cardoso and Ian McDonald and some other people, he said, I want you to make this conference three days that be transformative conference about living long and well. And I want it to be organized about what I call the five pillars, body, mind, spirit, purpose, and relationship. And all those integral listeners out there, we can hear body, mind, spirit, and self-culture and nature there. 
And Abilio discovered these things independently, but was drawn to integral enthusiasts like Marcelo uh, and Sean Esborn Hargens. And he said, I want you guys to, to create the perfect 80th birthday conference party that everybody can come and have a transformative experience. So for two years, they set this thing up. They rented a five-star resort, the whole thing, in near Sintra called Porto uh, Penelanga uh, in, in Portugal. He flew 300 of, of his best friends and so on from Brazil to Portugal. They hired 16 speakers from around the world to give uh, TED Talks and breakout sessions on these five pillars. They hired uh, designers and event planners to create these incredible uh, parties in the evenings, flew the major rock stars from Brazil. People kept saying to me during the parties, that's that's the Brazilian Frank Sinatra. That's the Brazilian Joan Baez. Um, that's the best DJ in Brazil. That's the, the Brazilian Meryl Street. Flew all these people out here, had interpreters who studied everybody's work, and we gave presentations and then people hang out and, and went to uh, these events. And Abilio was, was wanting to pass on his integral understanding, like many people do. When you pop into Teal and you have a realization, you really want to share it with other people. Yeah. And, and you and I were talking about that, how that makes it difficult sometimes for integral communities because you have a whole bunch of people who want to start their own institute. And it's hard to have one institute with a whole bunch of people who want to have their own institute and teach their right. own system. Yeah. So anyway, the, the people were, were, uh, were a lot of fun. He had um, Lawrence Freeman teaching Centering Prayer. He had Gustavo Querton, who won the French Open three times. He had um, Lawrence Foster, who's a neuroscientist who runs a sleep lab. He has Susanna, I forget her last name, a Brazilian neuroscientist who demonstrated how cooking 1.75 million years ago was responsible for one of the things responsible for the human brain expanding and on and on like that. And I was talking about intimacy, longevity, and happiness. And he also had, and this is going to be really relevant to the whole deal, he had Dan Buettner, who's a journalist, who for the last 10 or 15 years has been finding the places on earth where people live the longest and are healthy and happy and productive. He calls them the blue zones, and he's found five of them. And that figured largely into a lot of the work that I did after this conference. And I'll tell you why. So, uh, well, first of all, when you're brought to a conference like this, people project a lot of stuff onto you. And after I gave my first presentation, which was on intimacy, happiness, and longevity, all the Brazilians started calling me Dr. Love. And we would <laughs> hug and kiss me, and we'd all dance together. And, and I, to a certain extent, they projected an authority on me that gave me the opportunity to love them and to yeah. liven them. Um, Isn't that great? Oh, man. It was so much fun. And, and they would want to talk about their relationships and get a little bit of input and, and you know, tell me about themselves, which is one fascinating story after another. Um, it, was, it was difficult because English was a second language for everybody, of course. But it was a lot of fun. And, I, of course, I always over-prepare for things. I wanted to talk about intimacy, happiness, and longevity because I've known for a long time, and you and I have talked about this, 
did all the happiness research. The, the self-described happy people, when they're asked what goes into your happiness, they always say, well, my relationship with my partner, my family, then my friends, my community, with my country. I'm in a country where they let me be myself with spirituality and so on. It's always about relationships. And uh, good relationships predict health and longevity more than almost anything else. Uh, in one Swedish study, for instance, uh, good relationships predicted health more than smoking, obesity, and heart disease with hmm. a bunch of guys. And so there's there's an enormous power in intersubjectivity, and 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 also because in the modern age the most central relationship is the pair bond. Um, I talked about the pair bond, and you know, we've talked about this before. The pair bond happened about five million years ago on the plains of Africa, when we our ancestors came down out of the trees into the savannas, and and a, a mother needed to have a guy protecting her and her infant, and so. Um, the capacity to fall in love and create a pair bond was was woven into our genetic heritage, um, and has and has continued to evolve ever since. And as it's evolved, every for every level it's evolved, it's become both more powerful and more fragile. Until we have the most powerful and most fragile intersubjectivity that's ever existed, which is the modern marriage. And my point about this, because I wanted it to be practical, was to have everybody understand that. If you want to have this powerful container, there's requirements. And this is true for intersubjectivity in the second tier. If you're having a second tier intersubjectivity, there are qualities to that intersubjectivity that are definable qualities. And, and in, a, in a marriage, the container is you maintain your the marital love affair, the marital friendship. You have a growth, a lifetime growth orientation, and you have an orientation towards quick repair of the inevitable ruptures that occur in a relationship. And this requires authenticity, it requires transparency, and it requires fidelity. Now, you notice it just took me a minute to say that. Um, mm -hmm. Okay, well, that's one of the hardest things there is to do what I just said. It's possible uh, but it's it's enormously difficult. It's a fragile container because um, it can be broken with betrayal. It can be broken with someone regressing and refusing to receive influence and so on. Um, but when it happens, it really delivers. Now, well, I, if I could just stop for a second and just appreciate something you said that really hits me, and that is that this is the most powerful and complex relationship in all of human history yeah is this modern pair bond because you got the love affair you got the friendship you got financial you got parenting for a lot of people and you know if we look at earlier stages of development you never found all of those things in one person there were always bigger containers that right. you were part of and and so we're sort of out here freelancing we you know those those kin bonds and those you know the earlier bonds of ethnocentric you know being part of a community and or religion those are largely broken yeah. in modernity and then we're left with one other person that we're trying to do all this with and as you said when it works it's magnificent but there are lots of ways that it can not work yes and this is what caught me because Dan Buettner, who talked about the blue zones, and it was it was 
If you go online and look on Dan Buettner in the Blue Zones, I'm sure you, you find a TED Talk by him. There's five places on Earth where people live longer, healthier, and happier than any other place on Earth. There's a, In Okinawa, there's a place in Sardinia. There's an island called Ikaria off the coast, a Greek island off the coast of Turkey. There's um, Nicoya, a peninsula in Costa Rica. And believe it or not, Loma Linda, California, where Seventh-day Adventists have people that live super long, healthy time. Hmm. And, yeah. And so Dan said, what do all these places have in common? Well, the, there's the obvious ones, mostly plant-based diets. They have a day a week. Uh, there's a lot of time for social time, de-stressing. They're all family-oriented. They're all mythic membership. It's tribal into Amber. There's a sense of a community that they're part of that was there before they were born and will be there after they were born. An intense focus on, on family, an intense focus on purpose. And elders are revered in these cultures because they mm -hmm. deliver. They contribute. Right. You know, a hundred-year-old guy was getting up in Okinawa and spearfishing for the family. A guy in Loma Linda spent a weekend building a fence because he didn't want to spend $5,000 to have a contractor did it. And he ended up in heart surgery. But he wasn't having heart surgery. He was doing heart surgery at a hundred hmm. years old. Wow. Um, yeah. Now, as, as I was examining this, looking at this, and cross-correlating it, I, I was noticing a lot of things. I talked to Ken about this last Friday. You know, you and I were just visiting. Yeah. So there was all the obvious, that stuff. But the social stuff really caught me. And, you know, for 55 million years, we have been selecting to be securely embedded in a kinship group. All mammals have this. For 5 million years, we've been programmed to be securely embedded in a pair bond. And human, the human pair bond is different from any other pair bond. Only 3% of animals have it, and the human one is much more intense. Human women are the only mammals that are at least theoretically sexually available 24-7. And the drives are very, very demanding about it. The last 300 years with modernity, we've had cultures where individuals have rights that they can assert to the collective, you know, the Bill of Rights. And for the last 50 years with the self-actualization movement, we've developed this understanding and even this sense of mission to be personally evolved, to take charge of our personal evolution. Now, historically, and, and our genes know when we feel securely embedded and when we're not. Well, historically, you got embedded in your blood kinship group first, your pair bond second, and then your own development third. Well, in recently, it kind of shifted in the last, with modernity into, as, as the tribes broke down into, well, uh, pair bond and family first, um, culture second, and then individual third. With, mm -hmm. the, with the self-actualization movement, it's, it's, it's been the last 50 years, it's been okay intersubjectively with myself, because it's all relationships, relationships with myself and with other people and with my, my, my family and so on and with spirit. It's now I need to feel good with myself first and then with my parabon and with my family and then with my culture. Right. And the kicker to this, Jeff, is that if we don't, our genes feel it and they let us know by suffering, by us feeling bad. I don't feel secure. Right. Um, you know, this is one of the reasons why 
to this day, the best treatment for severe psychopathology is creating healing communities and having somebody yep. embedded in a healing community. And that's way yep. better than most medications and so on. Right. So let me just observe something. Sure. So these blue zones are essentially communities that are at this sweet spot in terms of community. Yeah. Uh, so they're basically traditionalists. Exactly. I imagine religion's a big part of it. Family's a big part of it. They're going to be ethnocentric. They're going to be a little xenophobic. They're going to be at that traditional stage of development. Exactly. So that's their interior. Their exterior, lucky them, is modern uh-huh. because they can do heart surgery. <laughs> that's they, right. You know, they have uh, refrigeration. They have medicines. They have a certain safety net that only modernity brings. And so they're in this really catbird seat, this really sweet spot in history. And that's not going to be available to us anymore because, you know, it's, it's like becoming modern in the interiors, uh-huh. which is when you leave home and you leave your family and go out and, you know, make it in this bigger system. That turns out to not be as healthy as if you stayed. And, uh, you know, and and we see that in the proliferation of depression, social anxiety, uh, a lot of, you know, you you go on Reddit and read these communities of people who never leave the house. You know, young people playing video games 10, 12 hours a day because they can. You could play video games 10 or 12 hours a day and still get fed. Because they're also you know? medicating themselves. Why? Thomas Friedman, when he was uh, researching his book, uh, thank, thank You for Being Late. Great. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, great title. Yeah, great title. He was talking to Vivek Murthy, which was Obama's Surgeon General. And he said, what's the biggest health threat in the United States? Vivek Murthy didn't say heart disease or car wrecks or gun violence or diabetes or cancer. Vivek Murthy said the biggest health threat in the United States is social isolation. Social isolation. And so this is the question that arose out of this for me. We have more people than we've ever had before. We have more connectivity than we ever have. We have less external threats than we ever have. But we have eight times more depression than our grandparents. We have... 24 million alcoholics and 60 million problem drinkers and 100 million people with some kind of compulsive disorder. We have 1 in 10 people taking medications that are only marginally effective and making their lives a little more tolerable, but not really helping them that much. What the fuck's happening? Well, with every level of awakening comes another level of separation, another capacity for social isolation. You know, you and I were talking about this in terms of first person, second, third, third, fourth person, the way that Ken uses it, which is you take Mm -hmm. on a new perspective and a new identity with groups that also creates a new capacity for feeling isolated as a person and not deeply known and and accepted, um, not feeling deeply known and accepted by yourself and by other people. And and so with every uh, vertical developmental step, there's another capacity for social isolation. And when we feel that, because our genes know when we feel secure or not, they'll let us know our unconscious, our shadow self is uncompromising. You feel secure, you don't. You feel you feel secure with yourself, you feel secure with other people, you don't. If you don't, the pain comes up. 
And what we do with the pain, rather than take social risks or take responsibility to arrange lives where we're feeling good with ourselves, actualized, connected in our pair bond, and feeling good about our culture, we medicate the pain with all the stuff that I was just talking about. Yep. Um, TV, whatever. Um, yeah, or literal medication. Or, or literal medication. Yeah. And so getting back to, you know, it's, it's interesting to me, um, whenever I talk to Ken, you know, we get to what do we do about all this stuff? And, and it, it comes down to when kids are at, at a conformist level where they just learn stuff and don't really question it, it'd be really nice to teach them structure stages when they're eight or nine, be really nice to teach them that for every level up you go, you need to kind of pay attention to feeling deeply knowing and accepting of yourself and arranging to get your social needs met. Um, and if you don't, you'll feel bad. And, you know, you don't want to go off in these different directions when you feel bad. You want to kind of create that sense of purpose as well, because every, everybody in these blue zones had a sense of purpose. You know, this 102 year old woman, she says, why do you get up? She says, I get up every morning to take care of my great, 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 great granddaughter. And there was her with her little baby. Okay. And, and so it, in these cultures, and Blue is good about revering the elderly, that make, if you're revered, you're more likely to contribute. And contributing makes you more healthy, makes you more happy, makes you right. more connected. Right. Um, and in my, my wife Becky and I have been talking about this for many, many, many years. It's really not enough just to feel like you're serving your own personal evolution or, and really not enough to, to have a great, um, intersubjective container with each other. That's wonderful. And not even enough to have a sense of purpose in the world. You know, when you get into teal and turquoise, you really need sangha. You really need people around who you feel understands you and accept you deeply. And that's very fragile. Those communities can fall apart in an instant if I regress and you say you're regressing, Keith, and instead of receiving your influence, I defend my regression. You and I have just gone out of community with each other and possibly won't get back in until I resolve whatever it is that caused me to regress. It explains why there's so much social isolation and enemy and so on when there's so much opportunity for connection and there's so much knowledge about it. Because we each have to bring more consciousness to bear with every level to satisfy those genetic demands to feel secure and connected and um, in, in line with the ancestral voices. Yeah. Well, this is why we say and, and, and see that evolution is beautiful but not pretty. Yes. And that moving forward often requires losing something that we had. And we could see this in our own individual development. Uh, when we are in that stage of sort of being melded with mom and dad and grandma and grandpa, just our little group, it's very tribal. I mean, we, we literally, like early tribal people, don't have a sense of individual ego fully formed yet. We're still, you know, moving with the group and dancing with the group. And that's, there's a beautiful sense of embeddedness in that. But we have to leave that to grow. And so we do. And we, you know, every stage of that growth is a further step away from that deep louche, that deep um, liquid connection that we had as we, when we were little kids. That was provided. 
Yeah, that was yeah. If we were in a healthy environment, uh, that that there's just nothing like that. And there's part of us. I mean, I sort of thought that shouldn't have happened <laughs> until I was with a therapist and somewhere in my therapist, and he said, "What you want to go back to five years old?" You know, and I thought, well, actually, no. Uh, and I got it that, you know, I'm not going to get that. But, of course, when we move into second tier and integral consciousness, we realize that we actually – it's a worthy thing to work on getting that back. Yes. And we see how is that where we can actually have the freedom to be autonomous and to move and have span as well as depth. But we don't, you know, in modernity, we're sort of in love with span. We want as much as we can get. We want to kiss every frog we can kiss, you know, and post-modernity too, in a way. Yeah. Uh, and actually, I think that we want to keep that. I mean, I want to continue to have knowledge of all kinds of people and perspectives all over the world and all kind, you know, all through history. I mean, that I'm just hungry for that. And, and I could get that of the internet, you know, all the people I know and all the amazing communication and all of that. I want to keep that. But I want to realize what I've lost when I lost depth. And, and I want to get that back. It's include and transcend, right? You want to include that. And, you know, when we talk about self love, you know, you get back to unity, but you get back through depth of consciousness. You know, when people talk about inner child work, they, they really don't understand a lot of the time what that means. You know, the sense is, is well, I want to go to my distressed four-year-old and five-year-old and help him grow up, okay? No, that's not what it's about. You know, what you want to do is you want your observing ego to progressively help your four- or five-year-old be a happy four- or five-year-old, and your 10-year-old be a happy 10-year-old, your 15-year-old be yep. a happy 10-year-old. So you go back, you heal the wounds, not to help them grow up, to help them be happy in terms of their place in the chorus of yep. of you. And, yep. you know, before you and I talk, I always have dreams about it. So last <laughs> night, of course, I had a dream where I was talking to my beloved grandfather, okay? And he was pissed off at me. He was just had a disgusted, angry look. And I'd never seen that look on his face directed to me because he died when I was 10. And, I, you know, my brother and I were the apples of his eye. And, you know, when I worked on the dream, I realized if he knew, you know, he was a he was a great guy, but he was a bigot. He was homophobic. You know, he, you know, he abused verbally and sometimes physically abused my grandpa. You know, he was one of those old yeah. style World War One guys. Yep. If he knew who I really was, he would just be all pissed off at me. And so as I was working with the dream, I recognized that if he had lived another 10 or 15 or 20 years, I would have had to find a way to handle that part of him because he wasn't he wasn't going to come with me into orange and into green and into right. teal, right? Which, which, by the way, is another challenge and another responsibility of in the current age. I've seen it all over the place. The boomers, a lot of us, and particularly the integral community, feel a sense of responsibility to continue developing and to be exemplars of consciousness and exemplars of receiving influence and exemplars of continuing to grow so that once again, the elders can be revered, but not just because they're old, but because they're delivering. And it's our yeah. job to deliver. And Well, it's our job to figure out what is valuable. Like with my grandfather, you know, very much the same thing. 
And, it, you know, it makes me realize that we, we don't want to over romanticize these blue zones. Right. Because exactly. I'm not going to be spearfishing. Thank you very much. I mean, in, in Come these, on, Jeff, I'm hungry. Give me a fish. I know. Yeah, right. I mean, please. Well, you're going to get hungrier if, if you're counting on me spearfishing. Uh, How about I spearfishing? You cook it. You, you're but, really good but, cook. But there's a natural reference for older people when they live the same life you live. Yeah. Because, of course, 50 years of spearfishing, you're going to know a lot more about it than I am, and I'm still doing the same thing. So, of course, I revere that. That's just economically, you know, logical. Yeah. Uh, but now, I mean, my grandfather's advice, my grandfather's gone, but his advice to me would have been, well, I think part of our, our job is to see what part of my grandfather's advice, even though he's homophobic, even though it's all of the things you said. What does he actually have that I still need? Yes. What is worth revering? And, you know, I think part of it is just revering that he's a human being with karma and a story and he's precious and there's no other one like him in all of time and space. I mean, you just get basic mm -hmm. with, you know, sort of the depreciation of every human being. These but there's also. Yes, but there's also something that, you know, my karma comes from him. Uh, there's something that's you know, in my Jeffness that, that has Elmerness. In it. <laughs> Elmer. Uh, yeah, exactly. So, uh, you know, I think that's part of uh, the, the, the job we're doing here. I agree. And the practice we're in. My grandfather was a warrior. And uh, he was a war hero. Warrior with an O or warrior with an A? A warrior with an, with an A. He was, he was a war <laughs> hero from World War I. He mm -hmm. lived his own life. He didn't take shit from anybody. And, and so to me, that aspect of him guided me. Now, you know, as I pursued that path, because that was my spirituality the first 15 years of my life, it was through martial arts. That led me deeper into nonviolence. It led me deeper in, into green and teal, and especially, see, the, the thing that keeps coming to me is it, le it leads me again and again into relationships, into intimacy, into in intra-subjectivity with yourself and inter-subjectivity with other people. You know, Byron Katie was supposed to speak about mindfulness, and she hurt her legs and couldn't come. So they said, well, do you want to teach mindfulness because you wrote Integral Mindfulness and have somebody else do intimacy? I said, no. I mean, I, I'll do both of them, but I'm not, I don't want to give up intimacy because to me, the foundation point of everything's relationships and the blue zone material, what, what it really constellated for me is for every development, for every vertical level, it requires more to satisfy my genes. For instance, motivation. And Keith, if I may, sure. when you're talking about your genes, uh, another way to think of that is the earlier strata of your own developments that's still online. Yes. Your, your, your red, your tribal level, your own warrior level, your own traditional level, you know, those exactly. are still online. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and because those were the natural expressions of the, the human genome, you know, we're, we're basically, and there was progressive levels of liberation from constraint with every level of development. But Hallelujah. With, and with that, there's more responsibility and more challenge to live a life that satisfies those genetic mandates to feel connected. Yep. You know, if, if what I have in me is all I have to do is kill the lion, and then I now am a fulfilled person for the rest of my life.
You know, I passed, I mm-hmm. go through the ordeal, I pass it. That's relatively simple. That's not my ideal. My ideal now is to be in basically a constant state waking, sleeping in non-dual awareness, which I'm not. Okay. And right. so we have to even shift our motivational systems to, I'm going to be okay when I achieve my goals, whatever it is, to no, I am, I am an incarnated being, always monitoring processes. And as a matter of fact, given our shadow selves, our adaptive unconscious, basically what I'm doing with practices is more and more and more training my unconscious to regulate all these processes for me so that I have more consciousness free to move forward into novelty, the creative advance into novelty or into deeper intimacy. For instance, I was talking to Ken last Friday, and he said, when I have nothing else to do, I, I fall back into ground of being. And that's kind of a habit of his now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I thought, well, that's a great habit, but we're not born with that habit. We're born with the capacity for that habit. And you have to do thousands of hours of contemplative work for your unconscious to finally train your default mode of your brain to not go into daydreams and wondering if so-and-so likes me or, like you know, anxiety, did I, anxiety. Did I pick yeah. up the dry cleaning? Aversion. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Rigid boy. She's hot. Whatever. Fantasy. Yeah. That when you do the training, your unconscious does that for us. Most people don't realize that their development is marked by progressive levels of, of regulation and, and guidance from their non-conscious selves. And the easiest way to see that is hardly anybody, when they get mad, hits somebody. Hardly anybody. And why? I mean, it happens a lot, but hardly, not that much. Why is that? Not compared to history. Not compared to history. And that's because our unconscious does that regulation for us. Yes, you know, that's right. Uh, and then, you know, in, in relationships, progressively, when you're getting, you're developing intersubjective intimacy, particularly in the second tier, where your, your consciousness, your unconscious begins to, to regulate violence of, of any sort, violence to yourself or to another person, because yeah. violence to yourself or to another person fractures that, that fragile container. Well, you see, it doesn't work. Yeah. I mean, it works if you know, all you know your relationship is at the level of I have to dominate you or be dominated by you, which is a lot of human history. But at higher levels, it's just a lot of trouble. <laughs> yeah. You know, violence is a lot of trouble. Yeah. And so we learn, and, and 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 a lot of that is through you know practice and just growth. It's it's we can see that again as we look at our individual human development. It's like I was a lot more depressed and anxious when I was in my 30s and 40s than I have been in my 50s and 60s. Mm-hmm. I just you know, sort of in some ways grew out of it that, you know, we see statistically older people are happier than younger people and older people have less anxiety than younger people. And that's just part of the the growth and maturation that's built in. And I think that's what Humanity could look forward to. I think humanity's somewhere around the late teens and early twenties. I agree. <laughs> and, and then you know, you have- and, and, and it's actually spread across. I mean, there's plenty of a lot of humanity that's still down in the you know nine and ten too. This is why when I run into an integral person, whether they know it or not, I mean, you know, a lot of people are an integral altitude on lines, and they they've never heard of integral, of course. But when we meet, we go ah. Yeah. There's a, I know you and accept you deeply. You know me and accept me deeply. That's very relaxing. There's an ancestral voice. There's, 
there's a part of me that relaxes in that. Um, and we, it's funny. We naturally call it the integral tribe. Uh, yeah. You know, and it does have that tribal kind of louche, you know, that liquid community that can be so, you know, rare, really, in modern life. And I think that's like the Blue Zones, Jeff, because it's not, yeah, it's not, it's not conceptual. It's visceral. I mean, we might, we might know each other because we're talking about concepts, but below the surface, the, again, there's transparency, authenticity, and integrity. We feel it. It's a non-conceptual connection. And the, and the integral tribe is world-centric. It's international. All of those of you listening understand this. And God bless you, and I love you. And if we met, we would have a great time connecting. Mm-hmm. And, and to me, we're, these are the islands from which um, wisdom is going to flow. But they're demanding islands because we have to satisfy the self-actualization at this level because we, culture doesn't do it for us. We have to satisfy the pair bond in a particular kind of way, this fragile container, the love affair, the friendship, and the quick repair of the inevitable ruptures. We need to satisfy our sense of connecting to a larger group, and we need to solve the problems that are, that are sent to us on a second-tier level rather than our first-tier level. For instance, you know, I wasn't comfortable with my reaction to the Trump election until I discovered myself being more patriotic than I've ever been before in my life. Mm-hmm. When that happened, I thought, okay, Keith, you've made the transition that you need to make. You, you've made the transition from getting all pissed off and outraged to saying to yourself, now America gets to show the world how we can resolve fascism from the inside out. Because fascism is hardly ever resolved from the inside out. It's almost always resolved from the outside in. But you know what? America is going to resolve it from the inside out. And we're going to show everybody how to do it over the next 10 or 15 years. And that made me intensely glad and and proud to be an American. Yeah, and it gives some meaning to, you know, how you respond and and how you um, talk and think and act and vote uh, and be a good citizen. And I need a relationship with a partner where in that inner subjectivity, she gets that. Because if, if I went there and she didn't, you know, she stayed in her, you know, outrage and, and anger and, and, and violence, essentially, we would lose each other at that moment. And then I'd start feeling socially isolated with her. And then I'd start to suffer. And then I'd want to go do something to resolve my suffering. Maybe I'd want to be abusive to her, uh, you know, to kind of abuse her into agreeing with me, which is what people yeah. do all the time. It drives me, right. you know, if it, as a couples, you know, about 30% of my work is couples. It's hilarious to me to see couples trying to abuse each other into wanting to love each other or wanting to have sex with each other. <laughs> yeah, that, that's really going to Give me really an example. How does, that, how does that work? It's really going to work. You know, like she's complained to her about how we haven't had sex in two weeks. You don't want to have sex anymore. And I need to have sex. I, I look at the guy and I go, wow, that's yeah. really, really attractive, isn't it? That's really going <laughs> to, that's really, I bet she's just very just right now, just listening to you talk about that. I mean, <laughs> so, or, you know, she's screaming at him about how disrespectful he is and contemptuously dismissing him for making a mistake. And I go, look, that tone is treating him, you're treating him worse than you would treat any kid at any age contemptuously dismissing him and you want to have a present loving humorous man you can't act that way towards him and expect him to be the kind of guy you want you have to be respectful when you're pissed off 
all the time. What can I say? And now yeah. when people make that adjustment and they experience that that delicate inner subjectivity, that the power of it, you know, the most interesting thing to me about it is when it happens, people get overconfident. It feels so good and so strong. They go, oh, I got it. No problems anymore. Okay. Yeah. And it reminds me of a, a story Ken told me. He was studying with this guy up in Canada, this spiritual guy, and, and they were sitting, and the guy was doing downloads two or three times a day, and then and he'd sit in his room. It was, it was in a Motel 6. The guy would sit in his room, and Ken sat in the corner and listened to people come in and ask questions, the guy talking. And Ken said, this thing happened three times until I finally got it. People would come in and say, I got it. Ribouche, I got it. I, I felt one with everything. There wasn't any me anymore. There was just unity. Ribouche would smile. He said, Oh, that's so wonderful. When did it start? It started at 11.10 and then it kept going until right now. Ribouche said, That's wonderful. So keep practicing until there's no beginning and no ending. <laughs> um, and, and so it's always there and we fall out of it all the time. And so Pretending to be there is not being there. So at least now when I was talking about the pair bond, being there is being there. And so, yes, it's a powerful container, but we, we fall out of it regularly. Becky and I have fallen out of that container four times today already, and we adjusted mm -hmm. back into it four times. It took us maybe a minute. It took me three minutes with one. I was in a bad mood. Okay. Right. Yeah. She said, are you okay? I said, no. No, I, I'm still hating you right now. I, I, I need about 90 seconds and then I'm going to be loving you again. <laughs> Not bad. 90 seconds. <laughs> yeah, I was pretty, she's, she was good. She smiled. She said, okay. So he came back down and said, oh, I feel pretty good. Now. I love you now. <laughs> <laughs> so a lot of couples take some five or six days. Okay. Now, if you're risking five or six days of suffering, then you stop being transparent and authentic. You stop attempting to repair the rupture and you start self-protecting. And then forget about having a second tier inner subjectivity. Forget about feeling secure in the deepest voices, the ancestral voices. Forget about all that stuff. And then you want to do things that make you feel better. You want to, you know, with all the stuff we talked about, the drugs and alcohol and acting out and sex and cheating on each other and whatever, that kind yeah. of stuff. Now, to me, when you were talking earlier about I want to go back, I want my five, the included transcend really happens. I think I'm a happier seven-year-old now than I was when I was seven. Yeah. I'm a happier 15-year-old now than I was when I was 15. Totally. I've, I've healed those guys. They started out distressed. It's not like the distress disappeared. And this, this is very similar to our trauma talk. The traumas happened, but now they're part of a larger structure of gradually me organizing to let spirit come through Keith as unobstructedly as possible. Now, when we do that, we get turquoise. We want to share with like-minded others to serve the world. And we suffer if we don't. Mm -hmm. And in that sense, I think evolution is very demanding. You, you never like get there and go, now I get to coast the rest of my life. Nope, we never get to coast. There will always be a next level that we're yearning towards. And if we don't answer that yearning, we'll begin to suffer and regress. Um, well, it's interesting to see the edge of our own evolution as we start to become aware of this process and see, you know, what what's comfortable and easy and, you know, and what's a challenge still and what just seems impossible. And, you know, in the interpersonal realm, where we're talking about this 
amazing container, the, the, the most sparkling, intelligent, uh, full of capacity container that's ever been known in the all of time and space, the whole cosmos, and that is this sort of conscious marriage love affair uh-huh. that some people have. What makes that happen? You know, what's the, you know, I, I think if, for me, it, it's, I want to be curious about people as, as my default rather than critical. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a big uh, switch for me. Noticing my own defenses, just, I guess, better at self-awareness in general, just being able to see myself. Uh, what, what do you have to say about that? Well, to, to kind of pile on to what you said, you also receive influence, Jeff. Yeah. You and I were talking about this. When, when somebody gives us a perspective that changes our mind, we get excited. We get happy. You get happy. It's one of the things I admire about you. It's a recent development for me the last 20 years. I used to get all pissed off when somebody gave me something that I had to change my worldview. I thought, oh, Jesus, now i got to change my worldview. i got to kind of readjust everything to this new truth. Yep. I, I would take it in because I didn't want to be a bullshit person, but I would resent it. Okay, I don't resent it anymore. Um, yeah. And so that capacity to look at yourself, your, your constructive and destructive shadow, basically with interest, is an extraordinary capacity. Now, you do it so effortlessly – that you don't recognize it as a superpower. Hmm. Now, I do it pretty effortlessly too, but I recognize it as a superpower because of the, I think because of the nature of my work, because all day long throughout the week, people come in not being able to do that. Mm-hmm. And I struggle so hard to get them to do it. I realize what a big deal it is, you know, to do that. Yeah. So, so the receiving influence part of it, but also, okay, Jeff, so what makes your relationship so wonderful? You know, what are the four or five things that make your relationship so satisfying and wonderful for you? What are those characteristics? Well, uh, <laughs> you mean my relationship with Chuck? Oh, yeah, yeah, your husband. Yeah, yeah. Well, what, what you're talking about, I mean, I am truly curious about how he's seeing the world and how he's seeing the world differently than I do and how he's seeing things that I'm missing. And that's, I think, really, really fun mm-hmm. and really delicious. And you're right. It does take some ability to be willing to sort of disengage from your own thought processes. Yeah. You know, and that's really, really great. Mm-hmm. I, I think also that in the case of Chuck and me, we have a natural chemistry that is, you know, sort of, I want to say below the belt. Of course. You know, there's the just the natural. Works. Yeah. And, and it's, uh, it's something that we recognize. It's like, you know, I, I ask him, why is it that your touch is three times more powerful than anybody else's? Uh-huh. You know, I don't know. I don't, I actually don't understand that. That's a, it feels like an early part of my development, early part of me that just responds in the physical body sense. And that is, I feel like that's a stroke of luck. Uh, but it also is when I encountered Chuck and we had known each other 30 years ago and then we lost track for like most of that until about five years ago. When I re-encountered Chuck, we basically ran into each other on the street. That juice was still there and I, I had the courage to 
to notice it and to act. And I'm not sure in an earlier time of my life I would have recognized just how special that was. So there's that. And, you know, I, I guess I could go on, but... Well, there's a reason that erotic polarity is the first of the five stars, you know, my loving complete system for, you know, those five questions you ask about a partner or a potential partner. You know, there needs to be that some erotic polarity uh, between you that sparks, that drives the love affair. That's true. But there's a reason, you know, when you say his touch... You know, we're wired to cheat on each other and, and we're wired to be jealous of each other. You know, those are all part of the complex sexual and social wiring because if you cheat on other people as well as pair bond, you're, you have more genes being passed on in the ancestral tribes, you know, that, that trait. But as evolution has, as the relationship has, has evolved, we don't cheat on each other because to maintain the powerful level of intersubjectivity, we need a certain kind of fidelity. And I think that ties into the in-love circuits. And so the in-love period doesn't pass in the way that it passes. You know, you, you're in love hot for two years and then it passes. If you mm -hmm. maintain the love affair and you get, get put into a functional MRI 10 years into a relationship, 15 years in a relationship, if I was put in an MR, an MRI and they showed me a picture of Becky, the same circuits that light up with people who have been in love for eight months would light up in me, but there would be a number of other attachment circuits that would light up also that are associated mm. with secure attachments. And this is how the human brain, which is the most complex organism in the universe, and then the most complex intersubjectivity is two humans together, and the most complex relationships are two people in this particular kind of, of a modern marriage. You're, you're taking those functions to create a connection where this person has special luminance forever. Mm -hmm. But you have yeah. to maintain it. And what you were saying about putting yourself aside is exactly right. That when you're, when you're with someone and you do a regression, and instead of observing it, you act out of it to hurt the other person, their nervous system will read you as unsafe. And then you created an interpersonal defensive pattern that separates you and hurts you. Yeah. And if you allow that to continue, it gets reinforced with practice. And that's a disaster because the average length of time people have problems before they come into therapy is six years. And I got to tell you, it's a real pain in the ass to have to wade through six years of crap <laughs> to get to the basic desire to yeah. love and be loved. Yeah. And I'll tell that to people. Which is why it's really so useful to, you know, choose whatever kind of therapy or therapist you like mm -hmm. and to work it. Right. You know, and uh, that that's sort of the energy that it takes. And I, and I think, for an example, with Chuck, how, you know, being influenced and influencing really works. Mm -hmm. and, and it's a simple example is that when I watch television with Chuck, I enjoy it twice as much as when I watch it by myself Aww. because he sees things I don't. <laughs> and we, and there's such good television and, you know, there's so much wonderful art out there that when we exchange uh, notes, uh, either during or after, I feel like I get another download of the work of art. Yes. You know, it's, it's, it's richer than when I watch it by myself. And I think that's just sort of an example of, of how it works in all kinds of aspects of my life. It's just richer 
to do it with this person who has a whole other set of antenna, you know, that I get to receive. And you notice that reflexively what you're doing is you're maintaining each other to a certain extent. Yeah. Um, for instance, when a couple goes to a party, they either maintain each other or they don't. Now, what does that mean? That means I'm aware of her wherever she is in the party and she's aware of me. And I'm aware of her psychology, her spirit. And I do what it takes for her to feel comfortable with me in that environment. Okay. And this is very challenging. How many couples have driven home? You ignored me in this party. You were flirting with this other person. You know, like that. Okay. Yeah. And, you know, Stan Katkin in one of his books has a whole chapter on maintaining each other at a party. <laughs> I uh -huh. wish I love. I think, good job, Stan. Right well, on. that sense of maintaining is I'm not codependently maintaining. I'm not supporting you in self-destructive stuff. I'm taking a responsibility to let you know that you're loved by me and you're interesting to me. And if you're doing something self-destructive, I'm going to let you know respectfully. And if we're both doing that, we're giving and receiving influence and adjusting each other to, to accelerate our personal evolution. And evolution has changed. We're not dealing really with the same phenomena in a way as evolution has been the last 13 quarters billion years. Evolution historically has been tremendously wasteful. Species have died out. You know, vast d disasters have happened. Once consciousness took charge of evolution, it's gotten very efficient. Uh, you can, physically, you can go into a laboratory and create a new species in a couple of weeks. In a relationship, if you maintain that container, the level of complexity keeps going up. Hmm. And, and what's frustrating for me is that when it works, it looks so simple. You, know, mm -hmm. you, you and Chuck and, and Becky and I spent four hours talking to each other last Saturday. And <laughs> the, finally, the only reason I realized that you know, we, I had another appointment and my butt went to sleep. That, <laughs> because we were also we were all reflexively regulating each other into that we space. The, the, yeah. the space that Patricia creates again and again in, in the evolutionary collective. Yeah, Patricia Albert. Patricia Albert. And it's so self-reinforcing. It's so self-validating that you just don't want it to stop. Yeah. Now, to maintain that with your partner is demanding. Like I said, you need transparency. You need authenticity. You need integrity. You need fidelity. You need a growth orientation. You need to be able to notice your regressions and respond. Notice your partners and respond respectfully. Now, if you do that, what happens is that the, the, the forces that we see naturally activated in these tribal communities, in these blue zones, they're activated in us. And I think this is the future. I think that, that more and more and more we're going to have process education happening along with content education, relationship education happening along with uh, other kinds of social education. Understanding that to have a fulfilling, happy physical education, literally in terms of understanding my body and doing the things that keep my body happy, that that will become more and more and more central. It, it certainly is in the families that I work with now. That That's the primary level of intervention that we have. In a, I have in a family. First, I want the couple to be good with each other. Second of all, I want them oriented around what it takes in their cultural context to, to optimize their ch children's development. With you know the different kinds of challenges, privilege has challenges, poverty have cha lots of challenges, but in that mm -hmm. order, so that those children will do something that children have never done before in human history, they will come out of whatever tribe they they grew up in, they'll choose the tribe that they want to participate in, 
and they will be celebrated for that by their family. Okay, that's yeah. never happened before, Jeff. Isn't that something? Yeah. Yeah, we were always raised to be part of the group and stay in the group, and, and if uh, yeah, and come back. And if you didn't, you know, or or, or if you strayed too far, uh, you were shunned and rejected, and you left home, socially isolated. Yeah, but socially now, isolated. But for now, my kids go off and choose a tribe, another tribe. They're celebrated by me. They're not. They haven't lost the tribe with me. You know, and, and see, this is what integral parents have to offer their kids. And it's a big deal. This has just hasn't existed before. You know, yeah. think about if this was around when counterculture happened in the 60s. You know, we wouldn't have had to get away from the wisdom of our parents and the good parts of the traditions to be able right. to find ourselves, to be able to self-actualize, to be able yeah. to create substantive relationships. Uh, and now yeah. that that's possible with a with a lot of people in the and I think that's going to magnetize that's one of the transformative forces on the planet now. I think the joy in that, the happiness, the satisfaction, the health and longevity and, and so on. I think that magnetizes people. And you know, you see yeah. it in magazine articles and in Oprah and 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 in our fascination with um, relationships and with fulfillment yeah. and happiness and so on. Well, and we're going to see a new era in human history come online, the integral era, that will be as different from postmodernism as postmodernism is from modernism, and modernism is from traditionalism. And those are radical changes. Radical. You know, and so that we can be working towards some world where I can have both depth and right down to the, you know, solar plexus, you know, right down to the core of my Dantian uh, depth. Uh, and also span where I could have that kind of depth quickly and easily and f- in, in a way that has minimal friction when I come and go into, you know, different groups of all sorts. Yes. Uh, an endless span of human beings that I could have a depth experience with. That's something like what's coming. I agree. And so, with some people, it's going to happen deeper and farther. And that intersubjectivity is magic. Ken was talking about, we were, he and I, he's studying Tantra right now, the Tantras, and I'm very interested in the Tantras, so we had a great time for about, we talked for two and a half hours, the first 45 minutes we were talking about the Tantras. And he was talking about ground of being, and I said, you know, Ken, I get non-dual ground of being, I feel it, and I feel it now with you. There's a different flavor, and it's easier to do it with certain people, isn't there? There's something magic about us doing it together. There's something mm-hmm. where the where the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. Right now, on. Now that's the promise. Uh, that's the promise of a modern marriage, but that's also the promise of modern intersubjectivity. And I think that's very subtle, but I think that might be the, the one of the best contributions of integral to the world. Yeah. And 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 it might be what saves the world uh, ultimately. Yeah. Ah. Yeah. If Trump doesn't blow it up. <laughs> you know, I, I've had dreams about having therapy with every president <laughs> except for George Bush and Donald Trump. And that's because my unconscious, I, the closest I ever got was Bush was in a glass room and it, there's no way he was going to let a therapist in there with him. And I have, and I don't think I've, the only time I dreamt about Trump, I think he was chasing me. You know, all the other presidents, I've had, I've had <laughs> dreams about doing therapy with them, but I, I don't have dreams about them because they're just not candidates. They're too, yeah. they're too messed up. <laughs> yeah, it's, there's a cartoon in the New New Yorker 
that where uh, it's the Oval Office and one aide is standing at the door saying to the other, we gave him this cardboard box and he hasn't tweeted in days. And you can see Trump is in this cardboard box like a cat. You know, you can see his hair sticking out and. It's uh, maybe that's the therapy you need. Just give him a cardboard box. And well, can... and this is why I'm, I'm, I've gotten so patriotic because you and I can have this conversation, and the secret police are not kicking in my door, yeah. and taking me and damn right. the shit out of me in prison. Yeah. Well, God and if, bless and America. If he, if, exactly. And if he ordered the secret police to do that, they'd say "fuck you." I know, you know they would, and that yeah. I, and that makes me proud. I'm proud yeah. of that. I, that. I am proud of that, Jeff. Yeah, our our modern system of rules and uh, laws, not men, uh, will prevail. Yeah, and uh, um, I feel pretty confident in that. But damn, what a stress test! And uh, you know, what doesn't kill us makes us stronger. Well, so. and just to end on that. So for every couple has had to incorporate that. They have to digest that. They have to bring that into their container so it doesn't separate them. And I've seen it separate a lot of couples. Yeah, Um, me too. But if they keep it in the container and they keep attuned to each other, they find a way through. And and the way through they they find is into compassion. And this is another example of how that relationship is so powerful, how it, how it amplifies our development towards, you know, deeper consciousness and greater compassion. That's the directionality of evolution with us. Right on. It's a privilege to know it, man. Yeah. Well, it's a yeah. privilege to talk to you about it, Jeff. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> it, right back at you. And, and to everybody who's listening, yes. uh, it's good stuff. And it's so great to have you with us. So. Yeah. Anything else you want to add or sum up, or are we good to go? Well, that's all. I, uh, the Plenitude uh, talks are going to be posted soon. Um, I'm working on a book on, from the Loving Completely material, uh, and I'm excited about that. Cool. And yeah. the Loving Completely material is on Integral Life. Mm-hmm. And the cool. other thing is, is I'm very interested in what are the upper levels of development in therapists? And so uh-huh. I'm planning a program to get 10 to 20 therapists in connection on a weekly basis with each other uh, virtually. We'll have a couple of weekends together. And th- th- with the, the purpose of them being able to maintain a turquoise container in their sessions where they have a stable relationship with spirit in their, their psychotherapy containers by the end of the, of the nine months and that they have a, a clarity about their own natural healing style enough so that they could become a founder if they want to become a founder. Because there's certain healing styles where, because they're so individualistic, therapy is one of them. There's some forms of, 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 of energy healing and uh, somatic work that are like that, where people basically have their own kind of awakening with it. And then they don't know what to do with it sometimes because, well, I have to align myself with another system. No, I don't think so. I think you, at a certain point, you have your own system, and it's good to honor that and have the option of being a founder of that system. So so I'm planning a program like that. I'm designing it, and um, I'm going to start recruiting therapists, experienced therapists, to participate in it in the next four or five months. So that's another thing I'm working on. Well, if somebody listening would be interested in that, how would they contact you? Great. Go on my website, Give me, uh, send me an email. The website being drkeithwitt.com. Drkeithwitt.com. What I'll end up doing is, is there's um, a form, an application form that you fill out, and then 
uh, we'll spend an hour on the phone. Uh, you know, you'll, you'll have to hire me to spend an hour on the phone to go over the form. And then at the end, if it seems like a good fit, you can be part of the group and, you know, then we go on to the next step. Cool. Yeah. I'm looking forward to that. And, and yeah, that's a, it's a worthy project. Well, that's what integral needs to bring to psychotherapy. Integral is yeah. a meta theory and, you know, psychotherapy and a lot of things have all been about fulfilling requirements rather than demonstrating mastery. And at a certain level, it's not about fulfilling requirements. It's not, it's not fulfilling requirements in martial arts. Martial arts, you have to demonstrate mastery to go from brown belt to black belt. Um, mm-hmm. And, and so in psychotherapy, there's a certain point where you go into the environments and create containers where, where there's certain kinds of mastery and particularly stable connections with spirit. That turquoise container, I think, is, is present in an awful lot of the great therapists. I've seen it again and again and again. And, and I think we need to work in those levels at that, at that stage of professional development. Yeah. Fantastic. All right. Well, <laughs> All right. Thank you so much, Dr. Keith. Uh, much love to you and it was another great time. Much love to everybody listening. Yeah, likewise. I really appreciate you guys uh, climbing into the room with Jeff and I and participating in our conversation. Indeed. All right, folks. Until next time, thanks for listening. 